It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And the August 13, 18th, 2011 version of the Virtual Bible Study is on your computer tonight. Thank you for joining us. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, sets across from the table from me tonight. Jacob, Hello, great, Dad. great to join you on the Virtual Bible Study. We look forward to... Uh, I think a rapid-fire but interesting discussion. If it's not rapid-fire, it's not going to be, we're not going to get through. We're not going to get done if we don't. We're talking this. about various listener questions, and we're going to make time for your question as well if you've got one at 877-381-4567. Should we well, make it? If you want your question asked, you've got to call. Should we do that well, tonight? Well, don't make promises. We might not be able well, to. We'll, we'll try. If you call, though, we'll try your get, question yeah, has to be answered. We'll, we'll at least put it out there. We may not have an answer to the question. I mean, right. There's always a potential... You know, that they could stump the, the, the panel, and, and they, they might put a question to us. We they can't won't answer. stump us tonight because Anthony is behind the control Anthony, panel. We're glad to have Anthony running here. the board. He's our backup. I think you're uh, laying a heavy burden on me there, <laughs> but that's okay. All right, now, uh, you can also send it to questions at collegeview.com, and if you're listening to us in the archive version, we'll uh, let you send those questions anytime, uh, and we can a- and address them on a future program. But questions at collegeview.com tonight. tonight. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven tonight, or the chat room is open for you as well. Now, do you want to go ahead and give a, an overview of the questions we're going to talk about tonight? Or I, I think just... I think we better just get take them one at a time. All right, here we uh, go. We sent uh, as we always do on Thursday. We sent out these questions to our update li- list. What we typically do with some of these questions that wouldn't make a whole hour mm-hmm. uh, discussion necessarily, we just save them up for a time and and then try to package several of them together and have a program like we're having tonight, Jacob, sort of an open forum uh, program. And so uh, we are doing that tonight. And we've got eight pro- uh, questions that we sent out to our update list earlier today. If you want to get on our list, send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. Just say, put me on the list. We have several hundred people on our list, and we send that out every Thursday about noontime. And to give you an idea of what we're going to talk about and give you the questions. So I sent these questions out. So we're just going to start. These are questions that have come in over the last several weeks. The first one is from Sharon in South Carolina. She says, what about churches that want to get away from tradition, including removing Church of Christ from the signs in front of their buildings? All right. What, what do you think about that? What about this idea of getting away from tradition? All right. First off, we should say that the church does not have to have Church of Christ on the sign in front of their building. Well, no, because that's not the only name that the Lord's Church is called that's by. That's right. In fact, we got a, a rather long email response from our friend Chris uh, in West Tennessee, who uh, I, I got the idea that he may have taught a lesson on this because it's a, a well-developed and rather lengthy outline on the question. Uh, he says, there's no distinctive designation for God's people. Uh, collectively, they are called simply the church. They, they are identified by city, region, or a house where they might have met, someone's house. Uh, it's called the church of God, the church of the living God, the church of the Lord, the churches of Christ. And he gives scriptures for all of those. Uh, sometimes the church is referred to by what makes it up, the composition of it, the churches of the Gentiles, the churches of the saints, the church of the firstborn ones, the church of the Laodiceans, the church of the Thessalonians. Uh, and then sometimes it's those kind of uh, designations are combined: the Church of God at Corinth, uh, the churches of Judea, which are in which are in Christ, the Church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Church of the Thessalonians in God the, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus, and so uh, you get the idea that there's a uh, there's a whole lot of different distinctions that are assigned to the church, and so for us to pick one, of course, Church of Christ or uh, Romans 16, 16 uh, talks about them in the plural, churches mm-hmm. of Christ. That's a scriptural designation, and that's the one that we have most frequently and commonly have- uh, sort of migrated to. But and, and I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a bad judgment to use that because 
we could call ourselves the Church of God. Uh, for instance, that's what it was called in Acts 20, verse 28, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, and so forth. Several, I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven places in the New Testament is called the Church of God. But if we did that, then we'd probably confuse people because there is a, a false denominational group that goes by that designation. Okay. So, in other words, we're saying it's not a bad thing that we have some unanimity of designation just for clarity so that people understand what we what we stand for. 877-381-4567. Thank well, you. By, by the way, Chris, thanks for that great outline. Yes. Now, uh, is it wrong if you don't go by the name Church of Christ? Well, have you ever come across? Have you ever run across someone who says that the Church of Christ is the only proper? I've, I've read someone who made argued it's I, the only it's proper clear, name you could use for the church. I don't, it's clearly not the only scriptural name for the church. Yeah. Uh, but if I refused to have, if I refused to agree to have the designation Church of Christ applied to the church, that'd be wrong. Okay. It is the Church of Christ. It belongs to Him. He said in Matthew sixteen eighteen, "I will build my church." And therefore, it is the Church of Christ. It belongs to him. Okay. And so if I said, absolutely not, I refuse to, to allow that designation to be applied to the group I'm a member of, I think that would be wrong. Or I think it may be the motivation. You've got to be careful about judging motivation. I think some of the motivation, motivation, motivation for taking the name off the building is people are trying to hide from what the church stands for. They don't like, like the, the stigma of, of what the church stands for. Yeah. And Histor- that, you know. In other words... Well, if we if we put the name Church of Christ on there, people are going to immediately identify the fact that we don't use instrumental yeah, music. Yeah, they won't want to come. And so, well, let's just don't do that because we, we, we don't want to be identified with those people right. who stand against instrumental music. That's wrong, too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know why someone would uh, necessarily strongly opposed to the, to the name Church of Christ uh, as the designation for a local congregation. It's scriptural. And it identifies, and it sets us apart, and it, it speaks to what we stand for. So for all those reasons, it's a good judgment. It's not the only judgment. You know, yeah. you could call it something else of one of those scriptural designations. But I'm like you. Yeah, I wonder about the motivation of someone who says, absolutely not, I don't want that name. And uh, and John asks, uh, John says he th- sounds like a PR move to him, and uh, perhaps it does. Anthony, your thoughts about that? What about, what about taking the name off the building? Yeah, I think you'd have to question the motive there. Is you know, are you trying to look like one of these community churches? I think where, that's probably mm-hmm, part probably. of it. Probably, but I, I do think we do need to agree with what or point out what you guys have already said that there are other names that are scriptural, and I think the danger potentially of being too attached to that name is that maybe. People think it, we're some sort of denomination, that if it doesn't have Church of Christ, or if it does, and that automatically means it's they're going to do X, Y, and Z necessarily um, because they're part of this group and we all have, you know what I'm, yeah. I, I don't know yeah. if I'm. And I, I think that's, I do, I suspect, although again, as you said, Jay, we've got to be careful about judging motives. I suspect that those who object to the name Church of Christ are trying to distance themselves from some, some of the necessary doctrinal positions that we hold to okay and we hold to them because they're taught in the word of god all right time's up okay all right number the next question all right well uh again we'd be glad to get more yeah. input uh yeah, we can do a whole program on that yeah we can do uh, a whole program on all these all right john adds i ha- i have known some churches who wish who i wish would remove the name <laughs> church of christ because they're giving faithful churches a bad name Amen. I, I i agreed to that all right then she's she, you could just go around and rip the sign off their building john Maybe that would be you know, fix the problem. Well, I got to tell this story before okay. we pass from this question. There was there was this uh, Baptist church that was going uh, around the community, asking for donations. They were they were wanting to uh, build a new church building, and so they came to this Christian and said, "Would you contribute money? We're trying to build a new Baptist church building." And he said, "I will, if you will put a sign on the building that says hmm. Church of Christ." Oh, no, they said, we couldn't do that. This, this is a Baptist church. This is not a Church of Christ. He said, okay, i tell you what. I'll still give you the money if you'll put a sign on the building that said, this is not a Church of Christ. <laughs> oh, no, we couldn't do that, they said. And so that's the problem you get into when you start, sort of start batting around the scriptural designations of the church. church a uh, Church of Christ, churches of Christ, the churches of Christ salute you, Romans 16, 16. 
That is clearly a, a scriptural designation. And anybody who says that it's wrong to do so is just wrong themselves. Okay. All right. All right. All right. You, you, you violated the rule. You kept on going. All right. Here's the second part of Sharon's question. Completely unrelated, but another question yes. that she added in the same email. What will happen when Christ returns? Will there be an actual judgment? Books will be opened and so forth. Or are those statements merely figurative? Um, You've got to go to Revelation 20, obviously. That's, that's where that kind of terminology is used. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up. Death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Mm-hmm. Now, understand, of course, we, we understand Revelation is a book that is highly figurative. Do you think that in, on the judgment day there's going to be this long line, and one by one people are going to come before the Lord, and the books will be opened, and their record will be read in detail, and they'll be they'll be called to answer or give account for each entry that's in the book. I got to tell you, I was reading just today. World population is supposed to pass seven billion this year. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be billions upon billions of people, and if you gave everyone just sixty seconds to have that kind of a detailed analysis of their life provided, well, it would take years, years and years and years. Uh-huh. Uh, so. Uh, I, you know, maybe if, if we have that view that we're going to be in a line and then when it comes our turn, we'll step up and, and we'll have to answer the Lord based upon what he's reading out of the book. I, I don't think that's literal. I don't think that part's literal. But, it, but who, who knows? I mean, because we're not, it's could, time could will end by that, by being ended by Yeah, that. could he do it all simultaneously? Could the Lord judge right. each of us yeah. instantaneously and simultaneously? There's a lot there that we don't know about yeah. what, what could be happening. Yeah, what we do is, know is that there will be a literal judgment that the judgment will be based upon what we have done. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says, uh, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. So, yes, there will be a literal judgment. We'll be judged by the Lord. We'll be judged based upon the things that we have done in comparison to the standard of his word. John twelve forty eight. Jesus said, The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So that is literal how we picture it actually taking place, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. Anybody commenting on that? Well, uh, uh, David says, well, yes, but we'll have eternity, and uh, Sharon agrees, uh, but she also says it won't be in years. So uh, John says it is figurative, represents a complete accounting of one's life. I suspect the process of judging will probably take place like the judgment in the twinkling of an eye. So th- there'll be some questions that will be answered on that day as far as how that will work but we do know that the judgment is coming that is as john said it will be a complete accounting of one's life yeah. and uh if it is a line where you have to uh, go before god individually you're not if you're at the back of the line it's not going to give you any more time to get ready that's right all right right okay i don't know if that helps sharon or not but uh, i i i guess is there an actual judgment yes uh is the idea of each individual having a turn before the lord with their record being read out of a book, you know, one at a time, that that may not be, it may not be literal in the sense of what we picture as a courtroom setting, but there is a literal judgment, and literally we will be judged based upon what we have done in comparison to the standard of God's word. All right, quickly before the break, we have a question from Dallas, Texas. There is a Church of Christ in Fort Worth that offers several Sunday services, but they also offer a quote-unquote Sunday service on Saturday. What are your thoughts on this? The Sunday service on Saturday, and this may be one of those churches that John in the chat room would like to rip the sign off the building. They're offering Sunday services on Saturday. Can you do that? The Catholics do that. Can you? Can we? Can we do a Sunday service on Saturday? Well, I suspect that the reason why that's done is that they, you know, in the in the New Testament, under the Jewish system in the Old Testament, and during the time in which the Jewish practices are described in the new testament their day like at six o'clock at night at sunset for instance sunset friday night was the start of the sabbath okay so their saturday started at sunset and therefore their sunday would start at sunset saturday night and my guess is that these groups they're doing i know many catholic churches have a saturday evening mass Mm -hmm. they call it you know and i suspect they're justifying that on the basis of 
they're going to football the, game on Sunday. Well, they're arguing that oh. at sunset, at 6 p.m. on Saturday, Sunday begins. Now that's Jewish time counting, but in the uh, for, for instance, where we're where we have the example of meeting on the first day of the week in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, uh, that was. Uh, in in a Greek setting, and they uh, under Roman influence, they judged time the same way we do. And mm-hmm. so when Paul met with the church and preached till midnight on the first day of the week, that was that was Sunday, and the meeting went on till midnight Sunday night. And so, in the example that specifies the first day of the week as the day that we meet together to observe the Lord's Supper, it's clear that uh, the that Roman time keeping was under consideration not jewish timekeeping we don't we don't count time like the jews did therefore if if we meet on saturday night it's saturday night it's not the first day of the week mm-hmm. and I, I i would object to that by virtue of the fact that it's not following the pattern of acts 20 verse 7 and it's not even what we call the first day of the week all right if you're keeping time like a jew or like a greek you can tell that we're past our break and so we'll take it now And when we get back, we've got several questions to go. You won't want to miss these questions. And you might want to add yours to the mix, 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. We continue right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the virtual Bible study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? The College View Church is still trying to be a church like the church you read about in the Bible, and they're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return to the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ. Here are some quotes worth pondering. Gold is tested by fire. Man is tested by gold. Events are less important than our responses to them. Man, I wish I'd said that. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study rolls along. Nice call on cutting those quotes short tonight because we've got a lot of ground to cover, and we're going to take your questions at 877-381-4567. Email them to questions at collegeview.com. You're listening to us live. Join in the chat room as well. The next question comes from Chris, and it is a series of questions concerning elders. Chris asks the question, is a man qualified or disqualified if he smokes? He follows up and says, if smoking is a disqualifier, what about a man who is obese? Your thoughts about that? The elder who smokes or the Uh, person who smokes who may want to be an elder. What are you dealing with there? I'm dealing with a mechanical problem in the chat room and seeing if I can get it fixed for somebody here. Okay. Uh, But I I think I got it fixed. Okay. You got it. Um, The man who smokes who wants to be an elder, what do you think? Disqualified? um, Well... I know that one of the qualifications of elders, 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, is that they be sober. Um, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Yep. In Titus chapter 1, 1.8, I'm sorry. Titus 1.8, he's to be a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober. The word sober means self-disciplined or self-controlled. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the... The thing that we got to answer in regards to a man smoking or, you know, well, first of all, let's deal with smoking. I think that when, when all things are considered about smoking uh, it, and yet a man won't give it up or can't give it up, it may very well suggest the fact that he is not able to control himself. He's not self-disciplined. Okay. Uh, if, you know, if he can quit and won't, then there may be some other problem. Maybe right. he's self-willed. Uh, if he's not concerned about the kind of influence that smoking has on his brethren and others, that's a problem too. Yeah. And so I would argue that there are a lot of in- inclination or, or implications there that suggest probably he's not qualified if, if this is in case the fact. All right, now, let's talk about the next one. What about the man who's obese? Uh, the first uh, thing I would say is you got to be careful because he may have health problems that you may have some thyroid issues or something like I, that. I think in fairness to that question, I think uh, Chris said, uh, what about a man who is obese because of la- a lack of control over eating and not a medical condition? Right. So he specified okay. that. Okay, all right. Yeah, but you got to be careful when you judge people. I mean, you don't want to judge people just because there yeah. may be a problem. But the other thing is, you know, eating is different than smoking. 
Mm-hmm. I don't have to smoke at all. I have to eat some. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you know, if someone sees me out eating at a restaurant, they don't immediately think, "Man, there's what a guy who's out of control." Yeah. He, you know, but if they see me smoking, even one time. Mm-hmm. They have the potential to say, there's a guy who doesn't control himself. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I, I mean, it's apples and oranges in a way. I mean, it's not exactly. But if a guy is completely out of control with his eating, then that's a self-control problem, too. We okay. acknowledge it. Okay. But, but I don't think that they're on a par. All uh, right. Next question from Chris. Does a man have to have more than one child to be qualified? Uh, we've dealt with that question in detail in the past in the virtual Bible study. And we've got good uh, and uh, respected brethren who disagree on that question. I have to take the position that one child meets the qualification. Uh, the, the statement uh, that he has he has to have children, having his children. First Timothy four, uh, for, excuse me, First Timothy three verse four, having his children in subjection with all gravity is in the plural. Titus chapter one, uh, verse six. Now this is the one that probably applies most of all. And we'll talk more about it in a minute and on another account, but. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused right or unruly. Some people read children and they think that means he's got to have more than one. But I think the easiest way to analyze that is if you were in a room full of people and and uh, you said. Kevin's beat you to the punch in the chat room. He says, how many children do you have? And the answer is one. Yeah. Well, if you were in a room full of people and you say everybody who has children, raise your hand. Would the guy who has one raise his hand? Yeah. Because that's the way we use that terminology. That's the way we construct it grammatically. And it's provable that that's the way it was so uh, in, in the first century uh, uh, in the Greek. But you can even go back in the Old Testament and prove that they used the word that way in the same way uh, in, in the Hebrew and the Old Testament. You remember in Matthew chapter 22, verse 24, the Sadducees came to Jesus and said, Master Moses said, if a man have die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed to his brother. Well, that's from Deuteronomy 25.5. If a man had one child, that rule would not have been bound. Okay. And and it was understood that. That's how you use, that's how that's how words are used. And so and it's clear that that's how they were used in both the Old and New Testament. I have to say, yes, one child qualifies. I, I, and, but again, I, there, I, there, I, there's, I, there seems to be an agreement with you in the chat room. But I, I know plenty of good and honest and faithful brethren who disagree on that and uh, who conscientiously could not allow it and and I wouldn't want them to violate their conscience in the matter I'm, I'm, I'm and uh, if you and if there is someone in the congregation that, that might have a problem with it it'd be better if uh, you know not to put them in that position okay all right now uh, okay uh, John in the chat room if the word children ruled out a man with a single child then how would Ephesians 6 verse 4 apply to that man and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath Bring them up in the training and admission of the Lord. Ephesians six verse four. Yeah. Well, then he he doesn't uh, have children, so he doesn't have to do that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, or, or I like to use same argument, John. I like to use First Timothy five verse four. If any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to provide and to requite their parents. Well, here's a widow who has just one child, but and so that one child is not obligated to take care of his widowed mother. Yeah. No, okay. we don't understand that he would be. Next question, does believing children, uh, the qualification for, for elders that they have believing children, mean that the child must be a Christian or just not be a rowdy troublemaker? You know, I have heard that over a number of years. I haven't heard it recently, but I have heard people make the, the try to make the point that where Now, this is from Titus 1, verse 6, that if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, I've heard people try to make the argument that this is not saying that that a that a man's children must be Christians, believers, in the sense of that they're obedient to the gospel plan of salvation and have, and have become Christians. That really all it means is that they are faithful or trustworthy to their father. They're submissive and obedient to his instruction. Mm. Um, I, I don't think that is so. Now, uh, the, I, I looked this up earlier today. The American Standard Version and the New American Standard Version says having children that believe. Uh, the, the King James says having faithful children. The, the, the Revised Standard Version says his children are believers. Right. Um, look over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2. The same word used in the same construction. It says... Beginning verse 1, 1 Timothy 6, verse 1, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. 
And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren. Mm, that, that sort of makes the two equal, doesn't it? It uses the same word in the same construction. Instead of believing children here, they're, called, they're talking about believing masters. But it's clear that using the word there means they are Christians because it goes on to call them brethren. Yeah. So I think the word means that they have to be Christians. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's pretty open and shut in my opinion. All right. Uh, the next question, would a man be qualified if he had been married but she passed away? If the wife passes away while he is an elder, would he need to step down? That's another question we've talked about before on the program. Okay, two, two questions. First of all, I think the way Chris has, has composed that, here's the, we're, we're thinking about making this man an elder. He was married before, and he's only ever been married to the one woman, but she's dead now. In other yep. words, we're, we're thinking about appointing him. He's a once married man, but the woman he was married to is dead. Now, the, the fact that he is married is important. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says he is the husband of one wife. Titus chapter 1, verse 6 says the husband of one wife in the qualifications for an elder. Yeah, but notice something else about the way that's worded. First Timothy 3, verse 2, a bishop then must be, must be, present tense. And a bishop then must be the husband of one wife. He must be, present tense, the husband of one wife. If his wife is dead, he is not currently the husband of a wife. All right. And so he, he is not. It doesn't say a bishop must be or have been the husband of one wife. It says he must be. So I would think that, okay, we're getting ready to appoint elders, and this guy, great guy, super, seems to meet every qualification here except his wife died last year. Right. I don't think he's qualified. He's not no. currently the husband of one wife. Now, the, the, if you're going to tell the position, follow up, follow up. Okay. Now, if you're going to hold that position, then if he is an elder and the woman, his wife, passes away, then to be consistent, he would have to step down. I think so. I take the same. I, I, I believe they stand or fall together. That is a necessary conclusion if you're going to take the, the first. And if you do not say that he has to step down, then should he ever remarry, he must step down then because he's no longer the husband of one, one wife. Well, I don't know about that. I think that's I think that's kind of a a, a faulty use of language. No, no, that's, no, no, saying, no, that's no. saying that he is still. Uh, see, I don't agree. I don't agree, and I don't think you do either. No, I'm but just saying. No, I'm saying that people who say that it doesn't matter, he can continue to be one because he's still the husband of one wife, even though she's dead. Well, if he marries again. Now he's the husband of two. Yeah, and we don't believe that. But that would be. I mean, if you're gonna if you if you're gonna put that together, then that's where you, you that's the position you'd be actually taking. Yes. Okay. So, I think, yeah, he can't be, if his wife is dead, he can't be appointed. If he's already an elder and his wife dies, I think he has to step down. All right. And we don't even have to get to the reasons why, because we don't know why God gave those uh, those qualifications. But uh, just looking at the qualifications and submitting to them without having to understand them or the reason why, uh, without our logic, and that's what, the way we come away with that conclusion. What do you think? 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Anthony? No, I was just going to say on that last question, you know, wh- the question I've heard asked sort of rhetorically is, you know, which qualification can an elder cease to meet <laughs> yeah. and and still be allowed to continue? So, yeah, the, because the, the qualifications are in the present tense. He, for instance, he must be blameless. Well, he was at one point, but he's not blameless anymore. Well, if he stops being blameless, then we think he's not qualified. He has to step down. If he stops being the husband of one wife, he's not qualified anymore. I mean... And somebody says, well, why? I've heard the reasoning that, you know, well, he has all the experience of having been a married man and, and have a wife and, and all of that relationship and all the important lessons learned in such a relationship. What's changed just because his wife's dead? Well, what's changed is his wife is dead and he's not any longer the husband of one wife. I mean, I, it, we're supplanting human wisdom for God's plain statement, I think, when we argue that, well, he, he, he still has all of those experiences and therefore, he remains qualified. That's our thinking, and and we're we're supplanting our thinking with what the statement plainly says. All right. Uh, before we go to our break, uh, Joiner has posted a challenge in the chat room. Joiner says, "Was apostle the apostle John married or have any children?" History says no, for what I have seen, but he says he was an elder in Second John verse one. Yeah, I don't think that means elder in the sense that he was a bishop. We've got or some figurative o- language overseer. there, I think. He, he, he says the elder unto the elect lady and her children. He's talking as an older man. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any indication that uh, he's, not, he's not saying that he was an elder. Now, I think Peter was an elder in First Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. 
the elders which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder and a witness uh, of the sufferings of Christ and also partake of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you. He's talking about elders in the church, and he said he was one. Mm-hmm. Now, we know, we have, we have information in the Gospels that Peter was a married man, apparently a married man with children. We don't know that about John, and I don't think that's what he's saying there in Second John 1 when he calls, identifies himself as an elder. He's an elder, and in the context, he's... Probably con- one of the contra- oldest el- uh, apostles. He's, he's contrasting that to the elect lady, which may be figurative itself, by referencing the church and those in the church. Yeah, this is written towards the end of John's life, correct? Right, right. Okay. Now, uh, John, uh, ask a question. Well, we've got to take a break, but this one, this won't take long. Should a man remain an elder if he has separated from his wife? I know one case where that took place. The man was unwilling to step down after he has separated from his wife. He said the law required him to do it. What do you think about that? Uh, husband and wife can't get along. The man's an elder. Uh, I don't tell you that, that, that's I, uh, John. I got to tell you, I've, I've dealt with a similarly. Bizarre... I don't think John's asking because he wants no. the answer. I think he already knows uh, the answer. But I've, I've dealt with a similarly bizarre case. I, I, I knew a situation where a man's family was just terrible. I mean, there'd been all kinds of family issues. And the man argued it made him better qualified to be an elder because he'd had to deal with all those problems. Mm. You know, and that's in stark contrast to the to the qualifications of elders that suggest that he himself should be exemplary and his wife and children should be exemplary individuals. All right. Well, we're going to get this week's bullet point and then we'll continue the discussion on the other side. We hope you'll get your comments in. Chat room is a buzz tonight. If you're not in there following those comments, please be sure to do that. Several listeners in there who have not signed on, it's easy. No personal information is required. Join in the chat room there, but if you want your voice to be heard, the best way for you to do that is to let your fingers do the walking at 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Wow, it isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Paul told Timothy to, quote, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, 2 Timothy 4, verse 12. It has been suggested that this phrase literally means to preach when folks like it and when they don't. In another place, the apostles prayed for boldness in their preaching, Acts chapter 4, verse 29. So preachers are to boldly proclaim a message that will sometimes be unpopular. In the process of doing this work, a preacher is in a precarious situation. This boldness may cause his hearers to think that he's overconfident. Some may imagine that he is closed-minded. There may be the impression that he is not open to other points of view or that he wants to stifle what others have to say. Sadly, in some cases, and with some preachers, these accusations are true. However, no preacher worth his salt wants to discourage open discussion of issues. And while he may speak forcefully on a given topic, he acknowledges his own limitations and the possibility that he can err in understanding the Scriptures. If he is obedient to the Word, he knows that he, like all others, must continue to, quote, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Second Peter 3, verse 18. In this age of political correctness, it has become increasingly unpopular to tell people that they are wrong about anything. But, of course, that is a significant part of what preachers do. Those who are doing their best to reprove, rebuke, exhort, as Second Timothy 4, verse 2 teaches, will inevitably touch some areas that are close to home. When this happens, we urge you to seriously consider what has been said. Honestly examine yourself to see if you need to apply the lesson. Be willing to rethink your previous position. And finally, do not hesitate to share your thoughts and concerns with the preacher. If he's the kind of man he ought to be, he will gladly discuss any issue with you. Give him the chance to do so. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. Hey, Anthony, you're sounding good on those bumpers there tonight. Oh, thanks, yeah, with a little coaching help from you. Hey, yeah, you're sounding good. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. We're going through the questions pretty fast tonight, and we might be able to slip one in from you if you want to slide it in. Uh, well, again, we give priority to the phone. You can interrupt wherever we are on the phone tonight. Uh, John has a follow-up to that scenario that he suggested earlier. Uh, he said that situation led to a split. He said some left because he would not step down. This man who was separated from his wife as an elder, he says after the people left, he finally stepped down. It was a sad situation. You know, that... That speaks to the whole kind of thing that people get so, I don't know, they, they, they allow themselves to get painted into a corner. They, they, they cause end up causing trouble 
how much easier it would have been if there were people if there were people who were objecting because of that situation a man that i think has the right spirit who would have been qualified to be an elder anyway would have said listen if it's going to if it's going to be divisive in the church i'm stepping down you don't even have to ask me i'll do it before you even ask but uh you know for someone to stubbornly uh, maintain that position. Sort of like he's getting close to that lording over the flock yeah, there, yeah. Peter warns about. Uh, now, uh, Larry says in the chat room, we're going too fast. He thinks it would have been better to have less questions with more detailed discussion. It's just his uh, thought and suggestion. Well, uh, right. Larry, appreciate that. Yeah. And maybe, it should, maybe we should have gone with fewer questions, but there are probably some who have some attention deficit problems that are enjoying the discussion. Yeah. Let's go to the next question from, right. from Deborah. Who asks, what are your thoughts on tattoos? Well, what, well, I think the better question, better worded question would yeah. be, what does the Bible say about I mean, about that's tattoos? just an opinion. There. I could have an opinion. Anybody can. You know, I often say opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. What's your opinion on dogs? Yeah. Cats. cats. I don't like I don't like cats, Anthony, but I do like dogs, and you're just the opposite. That's right. You're not welcome <laughs> in my house anymore. <laughs> uh, We're a cat family. Yeah. Right? And so that's just opinion, right? That's just opinion. So the question better worded would be, say, what does the Bible say about tattoos? Or more specifically, what does the New Testament say well, about t- tattoos? And my answer to that is real quick. It doesn't say anything okay, at all. Okay, now, so Deborah, Deborah's question may have been correct. It, what are your thoughts? It's going to be a judgment call. Since yeah. the, 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 the scriptures don't say anything about tattoos, there's going to be some judgment involved. Yeah. Yeah, I think exactly right. Now, you, we could talk opinion and judgment, uh, but it, you ha- it, when, it, when you get in that realm, you have to finally say that then everybody will have to make the decision for themselves. I guess if I was going to if I was going to comment opinion wise, I think there are some extremes of tattooism that suggests sort of uh, a rebellious spirit. You know, I, I saw a guy the other day had tattoos all up and down his arms. I don't know what else is. I didn't see the rest of his body. Thankfully, I don't know what else was on his body. But, I mean, up around his neck and all up and down his arms. And he had his hair cut funny, you know, like in a mohawk with a long braid in the back. And he looked like he probably was a rebellious sort of fella. Now, if, in other words, if, if, if I do anything, you know, you could talk about tattoos. You could talk about body piercing. You could talk. If I do things that cause people to have an impression of me that would be negative, then I'm and and it results in hindering me to be an influence to them for good. Then judgment says don't do that. Right. I don't think all tattoos would be in that category. I don't think all body piercings would be in that category. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of women have pierced ears. That's body piercing, and so it, it, to, to a degree, it, it it involves what is culturally acceptable. In other words, if if in our culture, this extreme of tattooing makes people think ill of me, then my judgment should be: I don't. I'm not going to go to that extreme with tattooing because I don't want people to. I don't want to damage my ability to influence people for good. All right, Anthony, your thoughts? No, I think that's totally right. I was going to say I was typing in the chat room. Um, well, just just say it. Don't. Type oh, it. right. Don't waste the time. No, I was say I think um, uh, I think you know God is not a respecter of persons. I think that would apply to in general to our outward appearance you know whether our skin color doesn't matter our hair color doesn't matter but i do agree with what greg is saying that um we do need to be careful of of our what kind of uh influence or how's that going to impact our influence and what is that going to make people think you know if i go around you know, take it away from tattoos but what if i'm one of these gothic people and i have black hair and i wear black eyeshadow and I paint my fingernails black right. you know whether it's right or wrong people are going to assume uh, make certain judgments based on your appearance. Now, they you know they may not be the correct judgments, but you know you just have to be careful there. Yeah. And, and again, uh, I think it go. I think since the Bible doesn't address that, it doesn't say yes or no. It's clearly in the realm of personal judgment. Uh, and and there and then how do you make those judgments? Yes. Yeah. All right. David asks the next question: Is uh, can a person with tattoos become a Christian? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, I think David may have just been uh, asking that to stir the discussion. You know, uh, I've, I've, I've known some older men who maybe in their younger days, I, I, for some reason in my mind, this, and our listeners may disagree with my, my uh, analysis of this, but it seemed like a lot of guys who were in the Navy got tattoos. Mm-hmm. Some of them got tattoos of things that weren't very appropriate, you know, maybe uh, – 
in regards to women, mm-hmm. images of women and so forth that they had tattooed on their arm. And I've seen them going around later wearing long sleeve shirts all the time right. because they don't want those things. I mean, they have regrets. And, and you know, that might be something to be considered, too. If, if this tattoo or this type of tattoo or this kind of thing might cause regrets later, maybe that would be part what of What about these thing. kids that are putting the, 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 the hoops in their ears? You seen this, Anthony, like stretching out their ears? Yeah, that looks painful. I can't believe somebody <laughs> would want to do that. Yeah. But well, I don't yeah. know. But I mean, again, not, again but if you're on the cutting edge of such trends, if you then I think that what you what you got to be careful about is people are going to say, that guy is a rebellious sort of fella. If, if, in other words, you don't think that when you see a woman with pierced ears because that's become culturally acceptable, and people don't think you're stretching the limits when you do that. But when, when we are out there on the leading edge of a trend like ear hoops or anything else, then the people who do those things sort of get branded as rebels. And, well, we, and they, as Christians, we don't want that. That, we don't want that goes that. to Sharon's point. She says it draws attention, and we don't want to be immodest, and so I don't want to be doing the things that, hey, hey look at me. I've got my ears stretched down to my elbow. So I don't know. Okay. Yeah, it might it might say something about the you know the attitude of the heart, You know, maybe an issue with narcissism or, or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Pride. Right. Okay, well. All right, let's, let's leave it at that. Let's move on. And now we're going slow. So let's catch another question here right before this next break. This one's from Johnny in England, and we've had some correspondence with Johnny. Johnny, we're glad you listened to the Virgin Bible Study. He asked a kind of an interesting question. He says, I have notes down in my Bible on many different topics, and with it I feel confident to have a discussion about a given topic. However, without it, I'm not so good at discussing different topics. So are there some things we should have prepared ourselves to discuss, like atheism, premillennialism, baptism, judging, and so forth? In other words, he's saying, as a Christian... Should I have certain things committed to memory? That's the way I take his question. Yeah. Uh, in other words, is it wrong for me to have to have my own copy of the of the scripture where I, where I have notes scribbled in the margins to help me remember? Well, I think we all do that. I've, I've got mine here. This is the one I like to use because not you got, only do you have things scribbled in there. I've got some things scribbled in there, some things highlighted, but even more so than that, I've been using this testament for so long. I can tell you where things are on the page. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, and, and I can look things up a lot faster in this Bible than I can in another. I don't think that's necessarily bad. But having said that, I also, if I'm away from this Bible, I still want to be able to answer. You know, First Peter 3, verse 15, uh, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. And so whether or not I've got my own Bible handy, my ultimate goal is that I'd like to be able to answer anytime, anywhere. But obviously that's a matter of spiritual growth. Yeah. Well, and and also a function of my memory. You know, I I may not be. Some people have better memory than others. Right. And uh, to be prepared, what what kind of question will you be asked today? You know, how do I know that I'm, I mean, how could I answer every question? There's going to have to, I'll have some aids. Uh, But I ought to be familiar with the concepts to know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think that comes with time. I think Johnny is a, is a young man. And I, I would just encourage you, Johnny, that, you know, some of this will come with time. The more you use your Bible, the more you study various subjects, the more familiar you become with them, the more they become just naturally committed to memory. Uh, but as long as you have that desire to keep growing in knowledge, that that's a good thing and it will come. All right. You've got some material. Can you share that material on uh, on marking up your Bible to be prepared for that? Is that uh, is that material you can share? It's not. I, I don't have that in a form that I okay, can sorry. email out or anything. Okay. But we did we, we did a study one time on on. Uh, it was a class study in which we marked up our Bibles and we went, we sort of built uh, scripture chains. We went to one scripture and then at the margin of that one, it said the next verse to go to. And we sort of, we sort of did that as a class study. I don't have that material in any kind of organized form. All right. We're going to take a break and we've got three questions to go on the other side of the break. That gives us five minutes per question. That means we can sneak in one from you. Why not send it in now to questions at collegeview.com or give us a call on the phone. The chat room is a buzz tonight. You can join in the chat room there. We're going to take it to the top of the hour. We encourage you to keep it where you got it. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. There's more of the Virtual Bible Study to come after these important messages. Stay tuned. Do you remember when the pulpit was used for the purpose of convicting sinners and teaching them how to be saved? Are you tired of preachers who seem much more inclined to entertain their audience than to teach the truth? Does it seem the sermons you are hearing each week could have easily be given at a PTA meeting or a social club? 
Do you remember when sin was called sin, and at the end of the sermon you knew by book, chapter, and verse what the preacher was talking about and why? The Cosview Church is still preaching the old Jerusalem gospel that you read about in your Bible. They invite you to investigate for yourself. Come and see. Visit the Cosview Church of Christ. Hello, my name is Kent Bumgardner. My family and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Please join us. How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? The virtual Bible study continues. And thank you for joining us on the program tonight as we look at various listener questions. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, or come and worship with us Sunday mornings at 9.30, Sunday evenings at 6, or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Well, we've got four more questions, three more questions to go, 15 minutes to do it. I think we can make it tonight. Yeah. I know what, people thought we couldn't, but we, we're going to do I, it. I we're doing we're, the impossible. I think we're going to get it done here. we got a question from Robin who asked, What is the meaning of the expression in the name of Jesus, as in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Acts 3, 1 through 18, and Colossians 3, 17? Uh, let's do the last one first because I think it's the, it's the most obvious one, Colossians 3, 17. We make reference to that verse quite often. Because it instructs us, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. We're to do it in his name. Now, what could that mean? This has implications to the recent program. Is this a formula of words that we have to say, I do this in the name of Jesus? In other words, I brush my teeth in the name of Jesus. I comb my hair in the name of Jesus. I start my car in the name of Jesus. No, it's not saying that. It's not a formula of words that we have to recite everything we do rather it's saying that everything we do should be by the authority of jesus and in agreement or harmony with his will um an old illustration that probably everybody who's listening tonight has heard uh is the idea of a a policeman chasing a criminal and he yells out stop in the name of the law that that, that phrase in the name of the law means that he has the authority of law behind him. He's a lawman. He's a he's a he's an authorized agent of of law enforcement, and he has authority to tell you to stop. It's an, it's an expression of authority, and I think that's what that means in Colossians three seventeen. Whatsoever you do in word or do deed, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So do everything by His authority, and and. That would apply not just to what we do when we gather for worship, but I mean all throughout my life in my marriage relationship, in my parenting relationship, in my work relationship, in my community relationships. God has governed me in all of those kind of activities, and I should follow his will. I should act based upon his authority. All right, 877-381-4567. The danger of not doing that is seen in the, one of the other verses that Robin mentioned, Matthew seven twenty one, not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And here... These people were saying, Lord, we, we did these these things, and we did them in your name. Jesus said, no, you didn't. You you were working lawlessness or iniquity, right. as the King James says. That they is. weren't following his will, and it wasn't so by his authority. So he defines what that word means. Yeah, okay, or that phrase means. Now, let me ask you the question then. If we're supposed to do things in Jesus' name, does that mean we have to end our prayers in Jesus' name? You know, I, I remember as a kid thinking that when you said, in Jesus' name, amen, that that was sort of like the trigger that shot your prayers off to heaven. Okay. Uh, we know that we are to pray by the authority of Jesus. John chapter 16, verse 26. What, read it. And at that day you shall ask in my name, and uh, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, but uh, verse 26, uh, um, verse 27, for the Father himself love you because you've loved me. It goes on, but it, it says we're to ask in his name. Yeah. And so we do. I mean, uh, the, our authority to pray to the Father comes from Jesus. Verse 23 of John 16, And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Yeah, but, but we're asking the Father by the authority that Jesus gives us or right. in, in, in that authority. I, again, I don't think it's a formula of words. I don't think you would have to say in Jesus' name necessarily to make your prayer shot off to heaven. Okay. I think it's good practice, especially in public prayers, mm-hmm. to identify that that's what we're doing. But I don't think there's a formula of words that we have to say to make it work. All right. Thoughts, uh, Anthony? 
No, I, I agree. I think that's a concept that maybe especially newer Christians probably don't, you know, might struggle with or feel, uh, you know, not realize. But I think that's an important point that, you know, it, it's not really a formula of words. But I agree that especially in public, and it's just such so commonplace in our culture and uh, to say that, that it, you know, it could be rather jolting if you suddenly end a prayer and you don't say that. I mean, I've, I've heard public prayers you know, simply ended with an amen, and I don't have an issue with that. But but, it, but some people would jump like, back to, oh, oh, what happened? He didn't say in Jesus' name. <laughs> yeah. But so, you know, I've known I've known men who would start out, Father, we pray this prayer in the name of Jesus, and then they go that, on praying. At the end, they say amen. That's it, the yeah, same, I, I guess like that. that's I the same job. I, I know, and it does in a way it sort of jolts you enough to make you think about what they're doing, but it also can be a distraction. Yeah, so we, don't want, be we don't want to be that. distracting. You're right. Exactly right. All right. Let's go on. Two more questions. from, And we got another one in the chat room we might get to here uh, from Justin. What about a church promoting a fantasy football league with a chance to win money? That's, that's Where amazing. are they? Where, that's, let's go. That's amazing to me. I, that, uh, uh, Well, I, I guess the – First observation would be, where's the authority for that? We're just talking about authority. Yeah. You know, I get very, I get tired of people who are so afraid of the gospel and ashamed of it. They got to come up with these silly gimmicks to try and get people to come. That's that that, that that's spitting in God's face. But uh, yeah, and and I would I would just ask the question, where's the authority for that? Where's the authority for that kind of thing? Uh, you know, Paul condemned the Corinthians in First Corinthians chapter three. He says, uh, brethren. This is 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. Brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He says, for ye are yet carnal, verse 3. Uh, I think that this is a, a form of carnality when we had to have those kind of enticements to get people to come to services. All right. How should you reason with a person, in this case a family member, who has been converted to Judaism without causing great division in the family? Well, what do you think about that? Yeah, there was a little more detail there. Uh, let's see if I can find First it. off, I would say that not causing great division in the family should not be a primary objective. He says, uh, here's a little Anthony, more. You, Anthony, what? Yeah, I was going to say, the first thing when I read this came to mind is, you know, a verse that early on was kind of emblazoned in my memory. Was Jesus said, you know, I came not to bring peace but a sword. Yeah. And, you know, families would be split apart. And it's not something obviously we should strive for. But it's not doing, something we should dodge or avoid. Right, because you know, we shouldn't avoid doing God's will because of that it might cause strife. I was yeah. trying to look for that verse too, Anthony. Well, see, one uh, of them is Matthew ten thirty seven. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. But there's another verse that is more uh, specific. Yeah, Matthew ten uh, thirty four says. Uh, Brother shall deliver up brother to death, father, the father and the child. Yeah. The children shall rise up against their parents. And verse 35. Uh, but in verse 34, he says, Think not I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be those of his own household. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So Jesus suggested that there would be necessarily there would be strife in families over the question of do you accept jesus or not do you believe that he is the son of god uh and this guy the fuller question from justin was i have a brother-in-law who's converted to judaism he sometimes says things that are against jesus well of course if he's a believing jew then he would say things he should i mean his very his very profession as 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 a converted jew suggests he doesn't believe jesus is the son of god Maybe we could discuss how to reason with a family member that has converted to Judaism without causing a great division of the family. I, I'm not sure that's possible. I mean, he's wrong. He's lost. He can't go to heaven that way. And you can't. You can't. You can't. You just can't pass that by. You can't hand him into hell. That's right. So right. I, yeah, I'm not sure that's possible, Justin. Interesting question. I'm just not sure that's possible. All right, um, and uh, well, we're down to the final question. We got one in the chat room. We'll try and take from Dave. What is the difference between soul and spirit in Hebrews four verse twelve? You know that may be the hardest question we've had tonight. Okay. Uh, uh, Hebrews four verse twelve says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So it says that uh, that you could divide asunder the soul and the spirit. 
The word soul there comes from the word that literally means breath mm-hmm. and suggest in this context suggests the idea of that which makes a body alive, the life force within a body. The spirit, as used here, is a reference to the immortal part of our being. So here, the soul is the life force, that which makes our bodies alive. The spirit is the eternal part of us. But that's not always the case in every verse. These words are used interchangeably, and you almost have to let the context of each usage dictate what the meaning is. How about 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved by us until the coming of the Lord Jesus. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that Paul is intending to include both concepts. In other words, the, the, the idea of that your physical life would be blessed as well as your eternal life would be blessed uh but again those words are used interchangeably and they and you have to study each usage pretty carefully to make the distinction all right um well quickly from the chat room this comes from joiner in the chat room joiner did we get anybody else nobody helped us on the soul and spirit thing i don't think no. Said, oh, Anthony. What, oh, well, Andy does. No, no. I was just saying they all said, "Yeah, good luck with that one." Is what <laughs> they said. But no, I, I was just saying. I I remember at one point reading some really wild writings online about making some huge point of contention about you know the spirit versus the soul versus the body and and trying to draw some pretty radical conclusions from that. And I just don't see that as some huge issue we need to grapple with. Uh, so. Yeah, I think some people try to make something of it that's not there because I think you can. It's demonstrable that they are used interchangeably, and so just just have to let it be that. All right, quickly, we got to, about two minutes here. Joiner has asked the question several times: How should the church run without elders? We talked about elders earlier. Is it scriptural? First off, Anthony, is it scriptural to have a church without elders? Uh, technically, no. Uh, well, I, that's I'd a trick say, question. I'd have to say technically, yes. <laughs> Is it God's will? Okay, there you go. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, it's not. Obviously, God's will is God for wants elders, churches to be, right? Yeah, God but, wants churches. You know, obviously, it would not be God's will to say appoint elders who are not qualified. So, or a church full of women. Right. There's an allowance for the lack of elders. On the first, on Paul's first missionary journey, they went through several cities in what we call Asia Minor, and then they returned. This is in Acts 14. Uh, when they had preached the gospel of that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we through much tribulation must enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So those churches were in existence for at least some period of time. Paul had been there. The Christians were converted. Those churches existed. He had traveled on. And now he's traveling back through those same places, and he ordained elders in those churches as he returned. But they weren't there initially. So I would I would make that an argument that a church can't exist without elders. But in these cases, these churches existed for just a short period of time, apparently, without elders. It's clearly God's plan that local churches have elders. Now, now to the question uh, that... that uh, 30 seconds. Uh, who's asking this? Uh, Joyner is asking in the chat room. 25 seconds. To the question, I would say, you just, uh, without elders, then there has to be some means of making necessary decisions, and that would have to come based upon the consensus of the of the membership. I don't know any other way to do that. There's, nobody can take authority upon themselves individually to do what elders would do if they were there. Therefore, it's going to have to be some kind of a, a decision-making consensus and, until such time the church matures and, and elders can be put in place. All right. Well, we've had a good discussion, lots of good questions. Maybe we went too fast. Larry thinks we went too fast. Well, some people think we go too slow sometimes, so there you go. we got to meet in the middle somehow. John, John, real quick in the, biz- in the chat room, business meetings are simply an expedient, expedient means of taking care of the work of the church. If there are no elders and since the preacher does not rule the church, then you have to choose an expedient solution. It may or may not be expedient. I don't know. I've been in some who weren't. All right. All right. Well, we covered a lot of a lot of ground tonight. We we cleaned up a lot of our stack of stuff concerning questions that had been submitted. So we're ready to receive new questions. And if it's a, such a question as we can devote a whole hour to it, we will. If it's one that we can put into the to the stack of stuff for another listener 
open forum kind of program, we'll do that. All right. Thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. And, Anthony, thank you for being behind the controls. Job well done and good comments as oh, well. Oh, thank you. I think this is a great program. It was a little fast-paced, but I think we we enjoyed ourselves. Well, we hope that you benefited from your participation in the program tonight. Again, if you're listening to us in the recorded uh, audio uh, podcast version, we encourage your questions or comments anytime at questions at collegeview.com. We hope you make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.